You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. YouTube creators in the car community get their accounts hijacked over the weekend. Facebook finds tens of thousands of apps behaving badly with respect to priority. The social network's announcement has been coolly received in the U.S. Senate. The Gulf region continues to be a field of cyber as well as kinetic competition. Huawei's CFO is back in court today, and Iowa tries to sort out what it actually hired pen testers to do, and to whom they were supposed to do it. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Monday, September 23, 2019. YouTube users suffered what appears to have been an extensive and coordinated account hijacking campaign over the weekend, ZDNet warns. The car community was particularly targeted, and the attacks seemed to have begun with phishing. The actors behind the hijacking seemed to have been organized criminals and the ZDNet researchers who developed the story suggest that people keep an eye on various dark web markets, since stolen accounts of this kind need to be monetized rapidly if they're to be monetized at all. Facebook continues to deal with the fallout from the Cambridge Analytica data scandal. Late Friday, as it continued the self-examination it undertook after determining that Cambridge Analytica had handled data shared with it in ways that, retrospectively at least, posed serious issues of privacy, Facebook released fresh results of that ongoing introspection. The social network identified data collection and handling issues with tens of thousands of applications associated with some 400 app developers. This does seem like a lot to have overlooked, especially given the nudging Facebook has received from bad optics, to say nothing of the $5 billion encouragement to virtue offered by the U.S. Federal Trade Commission. The social network represented the results as evidence of its commitment to bring data abuse under control and rather defensively pointed out that it's had to slog through millions of apps, which is no doubt true. Still, a tally of bad-acting apps adding up to tens of thousands, give or take a few baker's dozen, is two orders of magnitude bigger than Facebook had previously suggested. In any case, Facebook critics did not receive the news well. Take U.S. Senator Ron Wyden, Democrat of Oregon, as one example. Quote, This wasn't some accident. Facebook put up a neon sign that said free private data and let app developers have their fill of Americans' personal info. The Washington Post quotes the senator as saying, adding his opinion that, quote, The FTC needs to hold Mark Zuckerberg personally responsible. End quote. Such disappointment is bipartisan. U.S. Senator Josh Hawley, Republican of Missouri, who met with Facebook's Supremo Zuckerberg last week about exactly this sort of problem, tweeted this reaction. And now, barely 24 hours after insisting to my face that Facebook takes personal privacy more seriously than anything else, Facebook reveals potentially massive data breaches. 
Part of the conversation between Mr. Zuckerberg and Senator Hawley involved the senator's suggestion that selling off WhatsApp and Instagram would help confirm that Facebook actually took data seriously. In any case, the suspension of hundreds of app developers, whom Facebook didn't name in its statement, would seem to fall short of putting your money where your mouth is. A poll shared with Vox by Data for Progress and YouGov Blue suggests there's an emerging bipartisan consensus that maybe it's time for the government to consider breaking up big tech. The pollsters are on the left, but the results they report don't seem too far out of line with other indications of public sentiment. They found no sharp differences among Democrats, Republicans, and independents in responses to questions asking if big technology companies should be broken up in order to achieve better competition in the market. Iran will take proposals for a Gulf regional security organization to the United Nations General Assembly's annual summit this week, The Guardian reports. The intent is to assemble a coalition of hope designed for the most part to exclude the U.S. and U.K. from a continuing role as protector of Iran's regional rivals. The move occurs as tensions remain high over the September 14th drone attack against Saudi oil facilities. There were reports over the weekend that Iranian petrochemical operators had been affected by a cyber attack. Iran took the social media chatter seriously enough to issue an official denial that there had been any successful attacks. Much of the conflict in the region has involved cyber operations, CNBC observes, some of them apparently in retaliation for kinetic actions like Iran's shootdown of a U.S. surveillance drone. The U.S. has been looking to cyber operations as an approach to deterring Iran. The New York Times notes that among the options Cyber Command has had under consideration is disruption of Iranian oil production. Cyber attacks are attractive as a deterrent in part because of the proportionality they promise and the degree of strategic ambiguity that tends to accompany them. The difficulty of containing their effects is unattractive, as is the prospect that use of a cyber weapon is generally assumed to be tantamount to its proliferation. Thus, their advantages and disadvantages tend to be the opposite of those associated with kinetic weapons. We will no doubt hear more about cyber conflict as the General Assembly Summit meets this week. According to Reuters, Huawei CFO Mengwang Zhao returns to court in Vancouver today, where her lawyers will press for details concerning her arrest. Her defense team is expected to request more information about the circumstances of Ms. Meng's arrest at the Vancouver airport. They're expected to use such information to support the contention that her rights were violated by the arrest. And this, in turn, they hope to use to block her extradition to face prosecution in the U.S. on charges related to violating sanctions against trade with Iran. And finally, the strange case of the pen testers arrested over what seems to have been a misunderstanding of the scope of their engagement has expanded into a dispute between Iowa's state government and two of the state's counties. A state agency hired security firm Coalfire to test security, and the contract is said by the Register and others to have extended to tailgating, that is, following employees into the building, dumpster diving, and lockpicking. The state court administration says that, yeah, sure, it did hire coal fire to do these things, but that the administration, quote, did not intend or anticipate those efforts to include the forced entry into a building, end quote. Okay, although lockpicking strikes our burglary desk as being so close to forced entry as to amount to a distinction without a difference, anywho, 
Iowa's Supreme Court has hired a Minnesota law firm to conduct an independent investigation, and we're happy to report that the two pen testers are out on bail. A lesson for all engaged in contracting for penetration testing. Be sure everyone's clear on the scope, and if you're hiring pen testers, be sure you're testing something you own, not someone else's stuff. The two counties involved, Polk and Dallas, aren't particularly happy that the state decided to test their security. Managing the requirements for modern security programs is increasingly challenging and time-consuming. Enter Vanta. Vanta gives you one place to centralize and scale your security program, quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for ISO 27001, SOC 2, and more. You can leverage Vanta's market-leading trust management platform to unify risk management and secure the trust of your customers. Plus, use Vanta AI to save time when completing security questionnaires. CyberWire daily listeners can get $1,000 off by going to vanta.com cyber. That's V-A-N-T-A dot cyber. In the dynamic world of enterprise security, identity architects and IT leaders face a major challenge. Growth by repeated acquisitions multiplies the complexity of everything. Multiple IDPs, MFA providers, policy engines that all need to coexist. This can lead to fragmented user identities and policies that create security vulnerabilities and add access friction. Strata Identity solves this. Now you can decommission unneeded IDPs and consolidate the ones you'd like to keep without rewriting apps or disrupting users, engineers, and app owners. Plus, Strata's modular architecture makes it easy to integrate with any identity provider without manual maintenance and coding. Join the ranks of cybersecurity leaders using identity orchestration, Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your top identity security priorities, and receive a pair of complimentary AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations with over 5,000 employees. Step into a new era of identity management at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute, also my co-host on the Hacking Humans podcast. Joe, great to have you back. It's good to be back, Dave. Uh, article came by, this is from Threat Post. Yeah. It's uh, written by Elizabeth Montalbano, and it's uh, titled, Smart TV's Subscription Services Leak Data to Facebook and Google. I don't know, leak is the right word. How yeah. about just send? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, you and I have spoken before offline about you were looking to buy a new TV. Yeah. And I, it's not easy to find a non-smart TV anymore. It is almost impossible to find a non-smart TV. Mm-hmm. They are almost all smart. Right. Uh, I use smart with air quotes around it. Okay. Right. Now, this article talks about some of the data is going out to places like Google, Akamai, and Microsoft. But that is probably because of the uh, cloud services that those companies provide. Yeah. So that seems legit. But then there's all kinds of other stuff going on here, like pixels that that track what you're watching. 
mm-hmm. and uh, report that back. Yeah, There's grabbing little, little clips of video. Yeah, and grabbing little clips or screenshots of videos. Mm-hmm. Remember the old days, Joe, when you'd go to your local department store and you'd buy a television and right. you'd come home and you'd plug it in and you'd yep. unfurl that antenna and you'd watch the game. It was a completely <laughs> passive device. <laughs> All it right. did was receive information. That's right? right. Didn't send any information. Yeah, people stayed off your lawn back then. Yeah, too. yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Didn't have to get out and tell so many kids to get off my lawn. Back yeah. Then. Yeah, uh, the uh, there's an article in Consumer Reports that tells you how to turn off these tracking features, uh, but I don't know if that will disable some of the services that you have. Uh, well, and let's be clear. I mean, the part of what they're claiming here is that in collecting all this information about you, they're providing you with better services. They're providing you with some of the things we like. We like it when Netflix, for example, recommends other shows that we might like to watch because of other things we've watched. Right. That's a and, useful feature. And, yeah, and I don't have a problem with Netflix recommending shows based on my Netflix viewing history. Right. But if Netflix starts recommending shows based on my Amazon viewing history, then I know these two companies are collaborating and, and saving data. I don't know that those two companies in particular do it, but yeah. that's that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. You know, If it stays within the company and they're just trying to make the service better, that's fine. But if they're selling my data and profiting from me, I want that to come back in some, some way. Well, it's an interesting point. Is One of the, the things I've read is that one of the reasons that TVs have gotten so cheap is because this is a revenue stream for right. them. They, they can lower the price of the TV because they're making money on the back end yep. selling your data. Selling your data, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a solution, though. When your TV says, hey, let's connect to your network, just say no. And I suppose you could you could go at it in a different way. Rather than having the TV connect directly, you could use one of the other devices. You could use a Roku or a, right. an Apple TV yeah, or well, something like Roku's that. Roku's listed in here as, as sending information out based on its channels. You could use an Apple TV. Apple uh, TV, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know, yeah. Dave. Uh, who, I, I'm sure they all do it to varying degrees. Right. One of the things that caught my eye that I thought was concerning was, uh, I, I believe it's in the Samsung privacy notice where they, <laughs> they warn you to be careful what you say in front of your television. Right. Any personal information might be transmitted to third parties. Mm-hmm. If you're having a personal conversation. I mean, Dave, who among us really actually has personal conversations in their own home? I have a smart TV in my bedroom, Joe. <laughs> this is, you know, so... That is the worst place to have a, a smart TV, I think. But we like to watch Netflix on it, so... Uh, yeah, I actually See, do, there's, do not have a TV There's in my the trap. There's the yep. trap. Well, I think, um, you know, one thing in looking around for non-smart TVs, first of all, you're going to pay more. Right. For a TV that doesn't have these features. Which, which I'm is happy to do, actually. Counterintuitive, but there you go. That's the world we live in. Right. Um, but also, if you look for industrial monitors. Right. Like retail display monitors. The types of monitors that they use, like at your McDonald's. For right, Displaying exactly. the menu. Those or sorts of things. Or perhaps a computer monitor. A computer monitor would work fine with right. one of these external boxes. Yep. So, you do have options, but and you can opt out, they say. Yeah. But, of course, the default, when you buy one of these and set it up... You're automatically opted in. You're automatically opted in. So beware. <laughs> if privacy is important to you, you might want to spend a little more money on uh, either a TV or an external box, or at the very least, take the time to make sure that the settings are what you want them to be. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. And that's the CyberWire. 
For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.